I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. Make a smile November until opening day. Suffering baseball withdrawal around the clock. When April comes, hey, meet me down on your way. That's when Red Sox Nation starts rock. I'm a member of the Red Sox Nation. And welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball as well as MLB Wide Hot Stove. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and literally everywhere. Put it into Google, any uh, you know social media or media sharing app, we're, we're definitely available. I am Terry Cushman and am joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling. And tonight uh, we are also joined by old pal Chris Saunders. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, how's it going? I'll wait to answer that until I hear your takes on these new rule changes, Terry. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, because I, I, I have a hunch I could be bothered by a couple of your takes. You might be bothered. I might be bothered. Chris knows. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, hope I bother you. Um, all right, so uh, just to kind of get into uh, things, not a whole lot Red Sox related. Uh, Sean Kelly was a name that got kicked around that was a cheap possible alternative for the bullpen. He has since signed with Texas. Um, we just mentioned Henry Mejia, who received a lifetime ban in, I think, 2015, Somehow he's been uh, allowed to be reinstated and is now uh, signed to a minor league deal with the Boston Red Sox. So we'll see how uh, that goes. But uh, a lot of uh, buzz going on today. We'll be getting into the JT Real Muto trade. Uh, I kind of have mixed feelings about it, and we'll, all three of us will get into it. And uh, then the rule changes, of course, which have been kicked around all week. There's like seven or eight of them. We're not going to get into too many of them in depth, but we'll cover the major ones. And I guess we'll get started on that. The, uh, the biggest change that they are trying to implement is the three batter minimum for relief pitchers and there is one little um there's one little kind of exception to that if a pitcher were to face three batters in an inning and they're not necessarily three outs i mean he could give up two hits then a strikeout he's met his three batters but if someone comes into the inning with two outs faces one batter he won't be held to that because once the inning is over they can do whatever they want the next inning with with any reliever that's available. So um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this, Chris? Well, I think, you know, the biggest component I had to that when I first heard it was, what were they going to do 
if, let's say, for example, a guy like Zach Britton comes in in the eighth inning, gets one out, but with two outs, ends the inning, does he have to come back out, or are they allowed to go to Chapman? And being able to read at least what's been proposed, he would be able to come out and you can you know, start off fresh with a new pitcher. But I think this rule is mainly brought out because Major League Baseball is trying to find some way to be able to, to condense the time and not have all this wasted time and the game kind of slowing down. Because we've seen for the last couple of years now, specifically with how bullpens are starting to be used, managers are going out to these 12, 13-man bullpens and trying to you know mix and match for every inning. And instead of having a guy be taken out after facing one batter, they at least have to face three. And I think that not only puts more strategy to the manager of when to deploy his pitchers, but also, too, what kind of pitchers do I want to have in my bullpen? Because if you only have lefty specialists, but you have a right-right then left or a left-right-left, your, your lefty is going to have to be able to find ways to get righties out, too. So this could, in some way, open up more jobs for certain guys and try to expand the pitching arsenal for both lefties and righties and get out of the whole lefty-righty specialist. But do you is this something you're in favor of, or or would you just prefer it to stay the way it is and let the manager, you know, strategize how he wants to? I'm in favor of trying to use you know wasted time and use it in a more smartly you know more smart way, and I think for managers. And I've been kind of, you know, I was a lefty specialist myself in college, but even I was like, you know what, if I was able to get righties out too, I could have been deployed a lot more. And I think with major league pitchers and the way the game is being played, I'm all for guys being able to face at least three batters because then you challenge guys who are the best in the world to see if they can do more than what maybe they're kind of being brought back for. So I'm okay with the rule, if you know, the proposed rule, I should say. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? I fucking hate it. <laughs> I think I honestly, and Chris, this is not, I mean, this is tough coming off what you just said because it feels like I'm attacking you and I'm not. I just think it's the dumbest fucking rule. That, I mean, so we're so obsessed with speeding the game up that we're going to literally make it harder for teams to play matchups, which is one of the best parts about baseball. Matchups are what make this game, right? I mean, that's what every, the whole game is based on, like today's game is based on matchups. What you like, for example, you, let's say you play the ALDS and you have certain guys in your bullpen, but then you go into the ALCS and let's say maybe you swap out a pitcher or two strictly because of the matchups based on the different opponent this is now going to minimize that sort of situation. The other thing is, how does it have an effect on your starting pitching where, let's say you have a guy at 100 pitches. Let me take a step back. It's inconsistent with player safety, and all sports are going towards player safety, all of them. That's spearheaded by the NFL, but all sports are kind of taking that lead. Okay, so now fast forward again. You got a guy, you got a guy like Avaldi to Tommy Johns. Um, he's at 105 pitches and it goes lefty, righty, righty. 
So you don't want to bring in the lefty because then you, the lefty has to face the next two batters, which are righty. So what are you going to do? Avoldi's out there to 130 pitches. That's what you're going to do. I mean, it's just a shitty fucking rule. I'm sorry. I, I, I hate it. it. It's an extreme that they don't need to go to. I mean, why three? Why can't you just make it you can't go back to back? Why, why take that next step? I mean, you know, if you feel the need to do it, it just doesn't have to be three. It can be back to back. And what that can do is that, and that gives a little bit of leeway back to the opposing manager for the lineup. So there's already that staggered approach. The Red Sox have done it forever. Righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty. Now there may put be put a little bit more emphasis on that if it's a back-to-back situation. So you bring out your lefty one-out guy, and if you stagger the back end of your, your lineup or any part of your lineup to that, you know, any part of your lineup to go that lefty-righty matchup, you can prevent that and force a guy to get out the lefty and then the righty or vice versa. You bring in, let's say, same situation of all these in the game. You bring in the righty to get a out of the game to face that lefty. And then he's there for the righty to, to the three batter minimum. I mean, I don't know, man. I just don't like it. I actually don't like my other proposal, which is the back to back rule. I think you don't, this is something you just scrap and get rid of and never bring it up again ever. Well, I, uh, I'm on Jeremy's side with this. I don't... I changed my mind immediately. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I am typically going to be against any rule change that affects the natural components of how the game is played and or managed. And I like the fact, uh, like what Jeremy was saying, I love matchups. It makes it more fun as a fan because you anticipate more. You know, you're looking at the lineup and you're like, you're like, okay, we got we got Sanchez, Stanton, and then Torres next or whatever. And you know, and in your head, you're you're thinking, okay, so who's coming out of the pen next? Who's going to match up better with these guys? And if it's the start of the inning, you know whoever's coming out of the pen is going to face all three of those guys regardless. And I just, I don't like that. I don't want Major League Baseball officials taking strategy out of the manager's hands. Now, with pace of play in particular, I've got some numbers right here. This year, the average game per nine innings, so this does not include extra inning games, but per nine innings in 2018, the average game was exactly three hours. That's down five minutes from 2017, where it was 3.05. 2016 was exactly the same as 2018, three hours even. 2015 was two hours, 56 minutes. 2014 was three hours and two minutes. Uh, 2013, two hours and 58 minutes. So the point I'm getting at here is the last five years, we're hovering between a a seven-minute difference overall. Now, let's just take a couple more examples. Let's go all the way back to year 2000. Two hours, 57 minutes was the average game time 19 years ago. So not a huge difference there. Go all the way back to, 
Oh, let's go um, with 1992. So we're going back, what, 27 years? Two hours and 49 minutes. We're not talking. It's not like games have gotten freakishly long here. I mean, I don't think – I mean, if you're going to watch a game for two hours and, and 50 minutes, you're going to watch a three-hour and 10-minute game. So I just – my ultimate fear here with a lot of these changes, the ones that specifically do affect the natural components of the game, is they're going to keep fixing it until it's broken. And I, I'm just, I'm not cool with that. One of the other things I have a problem about this rule is it's inconsistent with some of the other rules. For example... Uh, a, a, a rule that I don't think we need to touch on too much, but increase roster size to 26 is, is a proposed rule. Why? What, how is that consistent with the three batter minimum? Why do you need another roster player if you're forcing uh, the former role of one out guys to be more than that? You've, you've basically taken one guy, forced him into two guys, but you also want to add a roster spot. And I'm all for like adding, you know, because I am in favor of the increase in the roster size because it means another guy makes the big league and it's another guy to root for and it gives the manager another option to play matchups. And, you know, but it's inconsistent with this rule, that this three batter minimum rule. It's the dumbest rule. And I tell you right now, I, 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 I hate it with a passion it goes it goes against what like traditional tenets of baseball which is you take your matchups you build your roster against the team you feel like you need is your largest hurdle and and we're all red Sox. you know terry and i are red Sox fans chris you're a yankees fan like the boston red Sox build their roster to not win 162 games they build the roster to make the playoffs and beat the yankees and the yankees are the exact same they build a roster to get to the playoffs to beat the Red Sox. So, I mean, it just seems to me like this goes against what's great about the, the top end teams in major league baseball and the teams that are will that, that are willing to build a roster and spend the money to, to make the matchups, make the games look. And I, by the way, I want people to watch baseball because I want baseball to thrive, but I don't want to cater to the idiots. Like, I'm sorry. If you don't care about baseball, then I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. If you like baseball, but you have a problem with some some concerns like the time of the game, then I do want to cater to you because I want you to become not a fringe fan, but a full fan. This this rule does not this rule does not bring fringe fans into the game. It just doesn't, and it won't. Chris, well. I think when you look at what Major League Baseball is trying to do, and I made this point today when I was on the radio, the biggest factor of Major League Baseball is they're trying to condense the time and attract what has been sort of like lost with the NBA and the NFL attracting such young fans. And with everybody being on their phones and such, they're not being able to get the young viewers to stay, you know, looking at the shiny ball longer than one second. So what they're trying to do is keep it fun, keep it ongoing, and trying to keep the pace of play going because, I mean, we can all agree that the game has in some ways, I know Terry made a stab out, or not made, but was able to present a stab, how the game really hasn't dropped or been elongated. It's been about three hours, maybe a little bit less. 
But, you know, when you watch a Major League Baseball game right now, taking away what happens in the postseason, because that's more of the adrenaline and being able to watch the game and every pitch matters. The regular season games, it's a lot of slow pace, you know, guys taking their time to the batter's box, stepping out of the box. With analytics being the way they are, you have catchers trying to digest everything that they've been told. You have pitchers trying to be able to execute what they've been told both prior to that pitch, prior to the game, and then once they're in the dugout. I mean, there's so many things going about it. The game has changed so much. And, you know, my last point on this is that the Players Union and Major League Baseball, I think, are trying to find a way where they they can come to at least a collective agreement because if we don't come to one soon, I really do fear that there's going to be some sort of strike like there was before. I mean, when I was a kid and I didn't even know what Major League Baseball was because what that strike did to baseball could have almost ruined the game entirely. And a lot of the people at that table don't know how it was back then. And I think what they're trying to do is, you know what, we're going to come to a medium here. Let's get to something that maybe we can agree on and then really strike what's the biggest problem, which is free agency and at least league minimums, which right now I think should be raised because, I mean, for crying out loud, Harper and Machado, the two biggest free agents I could think of, at least of my generation, particularly because of the ages of which they're hitting free agency. And neither of them have, you know, have been signed. And spring training's in, what, seven days, eight days? It's a joke. Well, yeah, me, well, uh, I defer to Terry. I just wanted to add in, I don't think these rule changes are going to contribute to whether or not there's a strike so much as the player contract situations will. You know, I, That's what's going to cause the strike. I mean, we have... A hundred veteran free agents I heard earlier today that are still unsigned, and not all of them are obviously impact guys, but there's they're basically being held hostage by the Machado Harper drama. And once those guys finally do sign, the dominoes will fall, and the other players will, you know, land on their future team. But that to me is what's gonna cause the strike. I don't think, I don't think major league pitchers care so much about you know the the three batter minimum or you know some of them might care about the the roster size you know being increased, but you know because that's one more player making a half a million dollars a year that wouldn't have otherwise down in the minors. So you know that, that's my thoughts on the potential strike and it might happen, you know, I mean, it's becoming a bigger topic, you know, week after week. I have little doubt that it will be a topic if nothing more than a lever in negotiations. Oftentimes in those sorts of circumstances, um, things are included that one side really doesn't care about, but they include it as like a chip to give away. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things where let's include the the pitch clock, even though at the end of the day, we, you know, it's not a real big sticking point. But we'll agree to this. We'll, we'll hey, hey, Major League Baseball, we'll agree to the pitch clock, but we want an eight percent increase in player salaries. 
you know, or, you know, whatever may be the other sticking point. So, so there's one of those things where it's going to be included, if nothing more than, you know, a lever along the way. Now, here, here's my last point with the three batter minimum. It's obviously geared towards steering up the, uh, speeding up the game. There's just a better way. The pitch clock makes so much sense. Um, I love the pitch clock idea. I think you can easily build in exceptions to the pitch clock. You yep. can give a certain amount of timeouts or, or, or extensions. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, but if an NFL team can go no huddle with 11 guys, call a play, read the defense, and run the play in 12 seconds, why the fuck can't a Major League Baseball player just select a pitch and throw it in 20 seconds? There's really no excuse. And I understand get, yep. and it's going to have an effect on a guy like David Price, right? Perfect example, who, by the way, is a mental midget but for the playoffs in 2018. If you don't like it, then adapt. And if you can't adapt, then fail. And the same goes for the guy who's got to keep his, his feet in the batter's box and can't do the nomar and fuck with his gloves and everything else. If you can't adhere to the new rule to stand in the box and get ready to play with pace and excitement, then I'm sorry, fail. Like adapt or fail. It, it's, it's so clearly the right move that as much as I hate the three batter minimum, the 20-second pitch clock slaps me in the face as the obvious answer to the, p- the pace of play problem. And I'm hearing that it's going to get passed and that it could be in effect as early as this year. Um, I, th- that latter part, I'm hearing some inconsistency. But to me, it just makes so much sense. Chris, so you're, it sounds like you're in favor of the pitch clock as well. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. No, I'm 100% for it. You know, the case I made about the batters taking forever to get to the box and then stepping out and doing what they have to do, same case with the pitchers. I mean, they've used the pitch clock in the Arizona Fall League and in the minor leagues. I mean, I've seen it, you know, it for a couple of the games that I've been to in Connecticut for low-A games and also, too, for the double-A Hartford team, the Yard Goats, which is the Colorado's double-A affiliate. And to be honest with you, just like where in a major league, while I have not been to a major league ballpark in some time since they've implemented the whole two minutes and then once it gets to that, you have to start playing at the end of the half inning. You really don't even, I mean, it's something that you it doesn't even come into your subconscious until like the last second. And that's only if you're watching it from two minutes until it ticks down from 10, 9, 8. So realistically, a lot of these guys in the major leagues right now, at least in terms of guys who are maybe 25, 26 or younger, have already come through the system with this clock. And at least for the most part, I've noticed they're going at a much more rapid pace than guys who are kind of being grandfathered in. Not so much, uh, I mean, an older pitcher like David Price, for example, since we brought him up, he's a guy that's being grandfathered in. So it might take him time to adjust. But guys like, uh, let's say, like Erod or Severino, they had that coming up through the minor leagues, so it's a little bit easier for them. Who off the top of your head are some of the fastest workers? With the Red Sox, we have Chris Sale. Uh, You know, is there any that come to mind? I mean, not off the top of my head. I would say, I mean, a guy that I loved personally was Mark Burley. He got the ball and went, like, consistently. If we could have had, you know, if we could have had ten guys like that on a team, like a, as a staff, 
the games were over. At least when he pitched, they were over with you know within two hours because he didn't waste time. He just got the ball, threw it, and that was it. But he executed. He was a pitcher, not a thrower. Well, the, the reason I ask is, uh, and I, I've heard other people speculate this on talk radio, and it may it might not be legit or you know or or maybe it might be i don't know but i'm just wondering about the health aspect of it like is it really healthy to do that and with the red sox for example we have chris sale who had shoulder issues this year he might have had them in previous years and we just didn't know it i mean he does typically slow down in the last couple of months and i know wade miley was a fast worker he's frequently injured he might be more lower body in in some cases with injuries but being a pitcher yourself you know previously you you're not concerned at all about you know the health aspect of it no i mean to be honest with you if we're worried about pitchers getting hurt because they're working quickly i think we need to start questioning pitchers being athletes i mean the joke is always that pitchers aren't athletes and i can tell you right now Pitchers are athletes. You know, maybe they're not the you know the burners like you see from Billy Hamilton or Mookie Betts, but these guys are athletes. I think the reason, if you know, health is something that that we're going to worry about with pitchers, it shouldn't be with so much them working quickly as just like I mentioned with Mark Burley, the statement I said he was a pitcher, not a thrower. We're breeding these guys now to be throwers. We're, you know, we're bringing these kids up at twenty twenty one. They're getting burnt out by twenty four or twenty five because they don't pitch. They're just getting the ball, and I'm just going to huck it as hard as I can. You know, the, the phrase I've always used was "dead brain heaving." You know, you're not thinking; you're just throwing. And for the guys like Kershaw, you know, Verlander, Bumgarner, those guys are starting to become extinct because now. The way the game is being played with the three true outcomes, the walks, the strikeouts, and the home runs. I mean, look, prime example, Michael Kopech can throw a ball a gazillion miles an hour. He want, he said he wanted to throw 110. What happened three starts into his major league career? He had Tommy John surgery. Until we teach these guys how to be pitchers and not throwers and how to pace themselves. Remember, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Until we do that, that's the biggest reason why pitchers are going to get hurt. Not because they're working quickly. Because if that was the case, then Mark Burley and others, who, and even guys back in the 70s and the 80s, they worked just as quickly, but they didn't get hurt. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Chris, was David Wells an athlete? I Just asking for a friend. <laughs> oh, no. He was an athlete if it came to beer drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, I just fail to see – the connection with working quickly and arm problems. Me too. Like, like to me, it's, it, it, it fails the common sense test to say, if we let these guys go at their own pace and they throw a pitch every 40 seconds versus every 20 seconds, that's going to have an effect on the arm. No, it's the same motion. I mean, you know what? Maybe they have to worry about cardio a little bit more if they're breathing heavy while they're doing it. But that's the effect, not not on the arm. And with anything in sports, if you have some, let's say, let's use David Wells as an example, right? Heavyweight guy, uh, and not I'm not even talking about his demons that he talked about after he was done playing. But just, the guy was he was heavy, uh, obviously not a sprinter, <laughs> you know. But let's say a guy like that was concerned about the effect of having to go to 
to a pitch every 20 seconds, then he should change the way he trains and the way he prepares for a season. And then once he gets into the season, he should, he should alter the way he trains in between starts to prepare his body to have to throw a pitch every 20 seconds. I, I just don't, I don't understand why this is even a topic of conversation. Like it should happen and it should happen now and it should be a part of our game. And it should be a part of our game at all levels because you know how easy it is to affect this rule change across any level of baseball? It's simple. It's just such a simple fix. And, by the way, you want offense? You want offense, right? You know, baseball fans? Well, guess what? Force a pitcher to think less. Trust me. You, you know, 20th, 20th pitch of an inning, right? where he's in constant motion because he has to throw a pitch every 20 seconds, I can tell you right now, his lower half's going to tire. He's going to be breathing heavy. He's more apt to make a mistake, and you're going to get more offense from a guy who has to throw that 20th pitch still on that 20-pitch time clock. To me, it's just an absolute no-brainer. Yeah, and I I heard these topics on, uh, you know, sports radio, and, and that's why I brought them up. And, you know, Chris Sale, to me, is a little ominous, but that could very well just be to his, you know, genetics and the fact that he's, you know, a stick man. Um, let's get into a couple of the real quick ones real quick, and then uh, I want to I wanna talk about the universal DH and then the uh, pitching mound adjustments, but we kind of did touch on the, uh, the adding of one person to the 20-man roster to bring it to 26. Uh, Jeremy, you mentioned the inconsistencies. You know, if you're okay with a three batter minimum, or, you know, then you, you know, you're talking, you know, why would you be okay with with um you know why is it productive to add another man to the roster i it's not necessarily a pitcher that's going to be added it could simply be another another bench player i don't really have a problem with this rule specifically uh, with the red sox you have three catchers and you're trying to we just spent a whole season trying to find a way to keep swihart on the team without having to trade him and I think for the Red Sox specifically, that type of uh, a rule change could help them in that regard. Uh, you know, other teams might have a, a need for maybe an extra reliever. Every team's going to be different, but that's not um, something I'm, I'm too worried about. And as well, uh, the September roster, they're talking about reducing that from 40 which i i think is ridiculous all the way down to 28 which makes a little bit more sense and uh so jeremy why don't you lead off with uh both of those yeah i mean i totally agree i i the three matter the three batter minimum rule is a total piece of shit uh it's inconsistent with the increase of the roster to 26 and they're also saying that um and i know chris is going to know the back end of this answer but i think the second half of this rule change is a maximum amount of pitchers is 12. So I have no issue with this rule. This rule's fine. I, I want more people. I want more stories. I want more personalities. Uh, and I love the matchups. And I think you can have the matchups in baseball without changing the fundamental tenets of the game. So adding a roster uh, you know, you know, I, I honestly, I think a lot of teams would have a third catcher. 
to keep that position fresh and to keep catchers healthier. So I have no problem with the rule. The September thing. The fact that they allow 40 people on a, on a September roster, it, it's the worst pending rule or current rule in Major League Baseball. And I'm going to tell you why. If you are the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, actually bad example because they're good now. If you are the Baltimore Orioles, the 40-man roster is so different for you because you're showcasing talent for trades. You're showcasing talent to see if some guys you think may or may not be major league ready are or aren't. But on the flip side, if you're a competitive team, you have no use for 40 man roster because you're never going to play the back 15 guys. You're the Red Sox. You're playing for the pennant. You're the Yankees. You're the, uh, the Astros. You're the, you're the Indians. You're never going to play the back 15. So now match the Red Sox against the Orioles. The Orioles don't give a shit and they're playing basically guys that aren't even, are, are, I mean, should, some of them probably shouldn't even be on the 40-man roster. Meanwhile, the Red Sox are tightening their roster because they got to win every game. Every pitch means, you know, an astronomical amount on standings, on seeding for the playoffs, or whatever may be the case. The rule stinks. It makes September baseball worse, not better. If you cut the roster from 40 to 28, you force the bad teams to play their best players, even on a bad roster, which means you're going to get a higher quality of baseball in September. This is an absolute no-brainer rule change. I agree. I agree. I uh, yeah. Chris, I changed my you... opinion. I can't hold up. I'd like to change my now. We're two for two, Jeremy. I'm writing it down. Two for two. Uh, this isn't so much fun as it usually is. Yeah. Well, the season will start, and, and that's true. Yeah. Go ahead, Chris. No, I've been I've been a proponent of changing away the forty man roster when it expands to September. I've I've said I'm okay with having a designated okay, like for example, you want to bring up forty guys, that's fine. But designate the number of players that are gonna be used in that game and the ones that aren't gonna be playing, there's two options. Either put them in the stands or put them in the luxury suite. And that way they can still have that major league experience, but because they're not playing for that game, you can keep them within the ballpark and you know at least where they're going to be during those two and a half, three, three and a half, however, you know, however long the game's going to be. Because I don't want to take away from players who, I mean, I think we can say that some of the guys who are called up probably will never get a shot again besides that one September call up. So, I, I, I feel for those guys, and I don't want to take away from that. But I also want to give the young guys who more than likely will not play, but they're there to get that experience for next year when it comes to either winning a spot or trying to you know get themselves prepared for what could be a successful run if it's a young top prospect. So that's how I try to, you know, I don't know if that would ever happen, but just trying to look at it from an outside perspective. Uh, and I get what you're saying with like opportunity and this is going to seem heartless, but I really could give two shits about your opportunity. It, like if you're not good enough to be, and I'm going to assume the increase to roster to 26 is going to happen. Mm-hmm. If you're not good enough to be the top 26 guys and, and, and keep in mind, this is baseball, 162 games, injuries, uh, DL stints, by the way, I will never call it the injury list. Literally never. <laughs> if I live to 2083, I will still be calling it the DL. But um, if if 
if you can't be one of the top guys in a, in a, in a program, I'm sorry, you haven't earned your spot. You don't deserve to be there. I mean, I like, like you, Chris, I played division three baseball. Uh, I wasn't good enough to make the next step. And I, I wasn't looking at rule changes that would provide me that opportunity, like be better, you know, have yeah. more talent, work harder, whatever be, may be the case. And at yeah. some point, every athlete, you know, even LeBron James is going to be a point where he's just not good enough to be in the NBA anymore. Like it's natural selection. Like I have no patience. Like that whole idea that, well, these guys get a shot. I don't give a shit. I want to see quality baseball. And again, we want the young people to come to baseball. We want young fans to be gravitating, gravitating towards baseball. You do it with a high-end product. You don't do it by giving some schmuck a chance who doesn't deserve to be there. You know, you you get the guys in the game that are going to create a high a high level of product that are going to be competitive against the teams that are trying to win every single game. I, you know, I I agree again. I mean, <laughs> I. You know, I mean, it has to be earned. It has to be earned, and if their if their play down in in AAA justifies getting called up, then you know that that's how it should be. And I'm assuming that those, I guess it would be two extra spots, assuming that the 26th, um, you know, roster spot gets approved. It's probably just going to be a couple of relievers or someone capable of, of spot starting that way Chris Sale if he has a year like last year and needs a start skipped or whatever then you know your your triple a starter can come in and and start a game another thing too is you want to keep the integrity of the division races strong I mean if if one team has a deeper farm system than the team that they're competing against, I mean, I don't know. I've just I've I, forty players. <laughs> How do you even fit forty players in a dugout? I just it just sounds crazy to me. Well, I've been in the dugout in Fenway, and you can't. It's uh, it's absolutely impossible. Um. But look, some of these rules make sense. I think some of these rules are being proposed to see the response from the public. And I think the three batter minimum is one is like a prime example of like the major league baseball wants outrage. Cause I think it's just the dumbest rule. Um, I do think that something like the September cut down from 40 to 28 is one of those rules where major league baseball is generally interested in the response from the media and like the fan base that's paying attention. Um, you know, I, I, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the other one that makes a lot of sense to me as far as speeding the game up is the mound visits from six, which is a brand new rule from last year. They want to take that rule, which has been wildly, um, effective in my opinion they want to cut it down to four again I think that makes sense uh, it forces a little bit more strategy with when are you going to use your pitching coach to go out there uh, you know and also I like leaving a guy out there that's struggling I like that because you know what you may see again more offense so you put a guy out there who's struggling you're you only have one 
or two visits left and it's the sixth inning, well, guess what? That guy's got to stick out there. You may see some offense out of it. So I like the I like that rule change uh, as well. Uh, final thoughts on this, Chris, before we move on? No, I'm I'm all for that. You know, I, I've – the one – the only rule that is – see – I've gone back and forth with this, and I just don't understand, and we haven't talked about it, but lowering the mound, they went from 15 to 10, and okay, I get that. Jim Palmer was dominating the mound. It was a pitcher's league way back when. Okay, fine. But with that being said, the mound is not why pitchers are throwing as hard as they are. That's not the reason why their stuff is as nasty as it is. It's because pitching – now is far ahead of where the hitters are right now the pitchers are wing you know the race and the batters are behind now the batters need to adjust and you can make a case that last year they did you know you saw what the red sox did you saw what the dodgers were able to do from time to time you can make a case for other teams too but we're going to come to a point where why do we have to make things so much easier for the batters just because the pitchers are dominant you know dominating why can't the batters adjust? Because when the batters were hitting all the home runs and doing what they needed to do way back when, I get it, steroids, okay, that's fine. You know, that's another discussion. But when the batters were doing what they were, I didn't hear anybody from Major League Baseball, from at least what I could go back and read, saying, oh, they need to make the bats heavier. They need to do this or do that. They need to whatever. I didn't hear that. But every time the pitchers dominate – Oh, we got to lower the mound. We got to do this. We need to do that. I mean, I'm not saying this just because I'm a pitcher. I'm saying this because there needs to be equal balance. Why can't one adjust to the other? The pitchers did to the batters. Now the batter's turn is to do the same thing and go from what the pitchers are being able to dominate. So that's my that's my only thing. Uh, I, I, I go ahead, strongly, I strongly agree. I mean – I, I th- this rule is this proposed rule is so goddamn dumb. I really don't know that I want to respond to it. You know, I think this might be the test. Like Major League Baseball is like like who's the dummies who thinks this is a good idea? Like there's enough offense, and and if you speed up the game with the pitch clock and the and the minimum mound visits, you're gonna get even a, a just a slight uptick in offense. It's enough. You know, you're talking about. Injuries to um, you're talking about injuries and 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 strain on the arms lower the mound. That's what you want. You want more Tommy Johns. You want more. You want to dip in velocity. Go go ahead and lower the mound. Everyone else, we're going to have a rational conversation like adults about how fucking stupid this rule is. And that's really all I have to say about it. I I kind of have a lot to say about it. Um... Uh, and we're three for three now in agreeing, uh, Jeremy. Just for the record, I I literally have three tallies. I'm gonna I'm gonna show it to the Periscope there. See those three tallies. This right is this is uh, this is uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, um, anytime Jeremy's like, I agree. I'm immediately like, oh, oh, what's wrong with me now? You okay. know, it's like I gotta maybe revisit how I think about this. But uh, go ahead, Terry. One of the biggest problems right now with offense, in my opinion, is the fact that so many of these guys have embraced the launch angle theory as opposed to just good you know, conventional hitting. Uh, 
you know, base hits, up the gap, whatever. And any type of launch angle batter is going to be prone to more strikeouts. So I just, I don't see the point in this. This is what's going on. Rob Manfred basically is trying to recreate the steroid era without the steroids. And I, I just, it's, it's a natural component to the game that shouldn't be messed with. Like Chris was saying, let the, let the batters find a way to catch up. And Rick Porcello had a better year in, in 2018 versus 2017, because he found a way to neutralize the launch angle guys by keeping the ball up in the strike zone so that they couldn't, you know, there was no way for the batters to get underneath it. And he was good against the Yankees specifically. Nathan Avoldi, same thing, kept the ball up in the zone and, and throws absolute gas. The The Dodgers and the Yankees couldn't really touch him. And if you're trying to create more offense, I was watching a Red Sox-Blue Jays game like in the first half of last season and I think the Red Sox in the very first inning scored four runs. And then in the bottom half of the inning, the Blue Jays came back and scored three. That was a 37-minute inning with all that offense. So when you're talking about pace of play and then more offense, they're going to cancel each other out. You know, th- that that's just the nature of the beast, you know. And then if the offense is happening in the in the middle or later stages of the game, then you're gonna have you're gonna have pitching changes, which is gonna is gonna slow it down even more, you know. In that specific example I gave, the starter stayed in the game for a few more innings at least, and so you didn't have the the you know the added delay of of bringing in relievers that early. So I I it's just frustrating to me that they're trying to. They're they're trying to to even it out by by making the pitchers less effective. And what's the point in spending thirty million dollars a year on David Price if if he can't if he can't pitch to the best of his ability and pitch the way he's pitched his whole career? The mound hasn't been adjusted since I think what nineteen eighty three. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, when Gibson, year after Gibson dominated. Yeah, so all these guys have been pitching this way their whole career. So that's going to be detrimental to some of the bigger contracts that have already been signed. And there's also talk of elevating the strike zone a little bit in favor of, of helping the batters. And I just think, like what you were saying, Chris, in your opening take on this topic, you have to let the batters catch up. I mean, it's 20... 19 now and batters don't even know how to bunt anymore <laughs> so like how uh, how much dumber do we need to be about this uh, that's my rant on that <laughs> you guys still with me <laughs> Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I think Jeremy might be on mute still. Uh, no, I was. Yeah, I was talking right on my mute button, so that was a that was a good moment for me. Um, I mean, I've already said it's so stupid, I don't even want to address it. So I'm, yeah, I you know, said my piece too. Okay, well, three for three on that. Uh, Universal DH that doesn't really affect uh, us, you know, being 
fans of of American League teams, but um, some interesting. I, it affects me as a fan, though. Uh, I actually have a take on this. Um, I, don't 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 fuck with it. Just just leave it as it is. I think the dynamic between the American League and the National League is eviscerated if you change this rule. I like the rule. Let let the National League have their pitchers strike out, and we're going to have you know DHs and the big poppies and the Edgar Martinez's and the uh, you know Miguel Cabrera's and the people that are going to prolong their career come over to the American League. We'll you know we'll take you. We'll let you hit fifth. You know we'll we'll give you another five years. I like the dynamic. I like the dynamic in interleague play, and then I like the dynamic in the National League play. Uh, not the National League play, I'm sorry, the World Series uh, situation. I like it. Don't just leave baseball the way it is. Speed the game up. You know, get out of here with lowering the mound. Get out of here with the three batter minimum. Increase the roster size by one. Cut. Get rid of the September 40-man roster situation. You know, lower mound visits, the pitch clock. Keep the DH rule the way it is, and that's enough. That's enough that you're going to get shorter games. You're going to get the dynamic between the style of play in the American League and the National League. And most people, if you talk to real hardcore baseball fans, they fall into that category one or the other. They love the idea that you know you have to deal with the pitcher having to hit, the double switch and all that. And then in the American League, they like the offense and like the, they like the fact that there's going to be another big bat in the lineup and that it's harder to for a pitcher to get through a, raw, uh, a lineup three times. I love that dynamic. Don't change it. Don't fuck with it. There's just no need for it. I'm sorry. Uh, I've got some things that are, you know, a little outside the box for it that I heard. But, Chris, what are your thoughts on it before I get to those? I mean, the DH is coming. I mean, it's not a matter of if, but when. I've been against it for a long time, and, you know, no matter if I like it or not, it's going to happen. And, you know, I think I like being able as a fan, not just as a Yankee fan, but a fan itself to see how the parity between the National League with the pitchers hitting and have it being more strategy and the American League being more of a the muscle head kind of hitting bombs and not a lot of thinking going into it because then when American league teams go to the national league, there's more of a disadvantage for them. And then when the national league goes, you know, goes to the American league, there really is an advantage for them because they don't have their benches are formatted for guys to have more than one or two at bats because they have those pinch hitters coming for the pitcher in the fifth, sixth, or whenever they decide to pinch hit for the bat, you know, for the pitcher. But you know, Major League Baseball doing this, you know, there's been outcry for this for years now. And I saw a stat where the American League, the average DH, the average for DH was, I think, 240, 250. The Major League average was around 220, but that was because the pitcher would hit, you know, 111, and that kind of added into that too. But, you know, can it help the National League? I think it will. It will take time for the National League to adjust. But I think... The National League won't use that spot for boppers. I think they'll stick to their, you know, speed, defense, try to put that position more towards guys that can be high contact rather than power because the way the ballparks are made in the National League. But like I said in my opening, I don't want the rule to change. I like having the American League versus National League and seeing the differences. But because there's been so much talk about how the National League, you know, needs batters, 
the you know the pitcher hitting because you take away five or six guys seeing pitchers hit no offense it's it's pretty much a mismatch because you got to remember these guys if they come out from high school they don't hit from pro, you know from pro ball all the way until the major leagues and then they're told oh you need to hit against the best of the best same thing if they go to college unless they're a two way they're not hitting in college so i can see why major league baseball would want to go this way but as a fan and someone who's seen it from the beginning where it's been dh and then pitchers hitting i can see why people don't want it to change before I get into uh, my think, just the funny Red Sox thing, and go back to the 2013 World Series when John Farrell, you know, famously got exposed for not knowing how to double switch. He let Brandon Workman take an at bat with two outs in the inning, and I think there were two runners on. And uh, my local uh, sports radio station asked him, you know, what that moment was like, and then they said, "When was the last time you had an at bat?" prior to coming up to the plate in the World Series, and he said, high school. <laughs> so, there you literally, go. literally, yeah. Um, I, I'm i going to kind of break from necessarily agreeing with you guys, finally, but what, what I will say is I side with the National League. If they want this, then I want them to have it, and if, if they don't want it, then I, I don't think it should be forced on them. But there are some benefits to it. Uh, and I, I got these mostly from Buster only earlier, and I, I just found them to be pretty compelling. Take a guy like Joey Votto, who, you know, some, you know, Reds fans are probably wondering when Father Time is going to catch up to him. You know, how long can he play third base, first base, excuse me, you know, with that long contract that I think takes him through his age 40 to 41 season. Well, now he can be a DH, and chances are he's probably going to be a pretty effective player for the remainder of the life of that contract. Same thing can kind of be said about Robinson Cano. Like, that kind of plays into the Mets' favor now because instead of playing first, I think he probably would have been fine at first base for at least the next couple of years, but he can kind of slot into a uh, DH position as well. So it kind of, you know, it can prolong some of their careers. And another one was uh, a guy like Kyle Schwarber. He's young, but he's just so bad defensively. You know, he came up as a catcher and then got converted into a left fielder. Now that could be a solution for him. You can just kind of hide him in that position. So, you know, it has its benefits. Pitchers won't necessarily get injured. I mean, it would be absolutely brutal for me to watch, you know, one of our guys, you know, Porcello, Chris Sale, David Price, get hit in the hand by a pitch in an interleague game and, be out for the rest of the season. And I know that's the risk, and it's always been the risk, you know, for the National League, but it's just painful. And if you go back to 2016, we lost Stephen Wright, basically, for the remainder of the season uh, after the August series against the Dodgers in Los Angeles, where he was used as a pinch runner and went to dive back towards the bag on a pickoff attempt and was out the rest of the year with a shoulder injury. And I think Red Sox fans forget how how bad that was because he he really until Rick Porcello went on that run he was the best pitcher in the Red Sox rotation he was just 
mowing guys down through the first half of the year. And then finally, Porcello kind of went on that run. And David Price had a terrible first couple of months. And I, I think his best months were probably June, July, and August of that year. But it would have been interesting to have, you know, right in that, in the, you know, probably starting game two or three. And against the Indians that year, we got swept. I mean, who knows what what would have happened? But um, you know, so I just I can certainly see the benefits. But like I said when I when I started this, I I ultimately want what the what the National League wants. I'm okay with that. You know, if that's what they want, then fine. You know, I, I actually agree with that. Uh, any uh, thoughts on it, Chris, before we move on? No, not at all. Okay. Made a good point. All right. Uh, actually, I guess that, I mean, are there any other rule changes? Those are the ones I wrote down. Is there anything else uh, I we should have covered before we move on? The only other the only other rule that I noticed was uh, the disabled list back to 15 days makes no sense. Leave it at 10. Uh, a little more flexibility allows guys that, want to go on to go on and get the break instead of hanging on because they don't want to sit there for two weeks. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, player safety is promoted by a shorter disabled list. Um, so, I mean, I just agree with, you know, and I don't even know why this is being proposed. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe I'm missing something, but keep the D uh, keep the DL the way it is at 10 days. Uh, you know, and, that's the only other thing I noted. It is actually going to stay that way, according to an article by Jeff Passon, at least for the 2019 year. So, you know, no no changes there. Um, all right, so big trade today, and I guess we'll uh, kind of wrap the show with this final segment. Uh, JT Realmuto, who always seemed like he was like an hour or a day away from being traded this whole offseason, uh, finally does get traded to the Phillies who weren't really on the radar um, at least too intensely until you know the last day or so there was some talk of the Padres uh, possibly acquiring him I saw Atlanta connected to him and uh, you know earlier in the offseason the Mets were uh, you know potentially targeting him but uh, Chris you're the you're the the minor league expert here. Why don't you lead off as far as what you thought of the trade, you know, who ultimately got the best of it? Well, I think right now you have to look at the trade being a win for the Marlins or not the Marlins, but the Phillies, because they got a guy who right now is going to be able to help them at least for the foreseeable future, the next two years, because that's how long his contract is. Uh, JT Ramutos is, and it gives them a guy who, behind the plate, can call a very good game. I mean, his OPS plus was 139, which was 39% better than the league average batter. So he can help him at the plate. And I think for a guy like Real Muto, who was putting up these numbers with such a you know a crowd or a crowd less with the Marlins because they were so bad, it does make you wonder, can he take his game up to an even higher level when he has a crowd and he has that atmosphere and a potential postseason slash World Series contending team, you know, to be able to be there for. So I think that's something to watch for. But for what the Phillies gave up, you know, 
the 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 big piece is Sisto Sanchez, which I'll get to in a minute. The other two, Jorge Aflero, was a top 100 prospect from 2013 to 2017. He's you know a Gary Sanchez type defensively. He leaves a lot to desire, but supposedly his framing was graded high. I'm questionable with the framing aspects of how they judge that, but that's something for another day. He's got an 80 arm, but his strikeout rate is 39. percent I texted a guy who is a Rangers scout that I've mentioned many times because he was with the Rangers when he first started before he was traded to the Phillies in the Cole Hamels trade, and he said that this kid is is a is a you know a high if anything a backup at best because he strikes out way too much. The other kid they gave up, Will Stewart, was drafted in the 20th round a couple years ago. He has a high floor as a back-end guy, but somebody who could eat innings. He has a 65% ground ball rate at low Class A. He threw 113 innings. This is a guy which, you know, we've talked about how pitchers, you know, they're they're not going as deep into games and they're throwing less innings. This is a left-hander that can, A, go deep into games and be that innings eater, and maybe if everything clicks, he could potentially be higher than a four, maybe a three, but he's very young. We'll find out. The key of the piece, though, was Sisto Sanchez. The Phillies signed him for $35,000, and in a matter of two years, he became their top overall prospect. And he's only 19. The problem with him, he has, he has problems staying healthy. He had, shoulder, he had shoulder problems. He had elbow inflammation. He threw 45 innings last year. He had over 45 strikeouts. But the biggest question with him is that can he stay healthy? He has yet to take that next leap because of the injury history with him. He's young. He's been compared to Pedro Martinez because he's a tiny and b because he's the, he's you know he's a Dominican pitcher. But for you know I saw a lot of people talking about how you know they gave up too much the Phillies did to get JD you know Real Muto. I say it plain and simple. You got a catcher for two years which you know can produce, and you gave up a at best a premier backup because strikeout rates typically for batters don't decrease; they usually stay the same. Will Stewart at best is going to be a three, if not a low, you know, a four. And then Sisto Sanchez, albeit is a top prospect, but he doesn't have the size. He's already had arm problems. And as you've seen with pitchers that get traded, Kopech, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, we can go down the line. Got Anderson Espinosa from the Red Sox a couple years ago that you traded for uh, Pomeranz. Pitching prospects get injured a lot quicker than position prospects. So if you're going to trade on a guy and try to get back something of value that can help you now, the Phillies gave up the right guy in Sanchez, in my opinion. Jeremy? I'm impressed by, I'm impressed by this player. Um, the Phillies, I think, have had a good offseason considering they basically sat around and waited for the two the you know Harper and Machado to kind of do what whatever the hell they are going to do which appears like maybe maybe nothing yet they found a way to get better while they continue to wait um i don't know the prospects um like chris does so basically i just have to defer to chris or any other uh uh media member that knows the minor league system cuz i just don't um to me this makes them better immediately um you take a team that was kind of on the fringe towards the end of the year, put a guy like this on that team, makes him you know better. One, two, three wins that may be enough to get him into the wild card this year. Uh, you know, pending whatever they do with 
Machado or Harper, you know, whatever that situation ends up being, whether they get one or, or not. But to me, it just seems like, a you know, like a real smart, uh, move. Uh, I understand they had to give some high level prospects, but he's a top five catcher. He, he, he's an offensive player. Um, and I, I, I personally think that he makes them better right away. Um, you know, and I, I, not knowing the prospects, that's really all I can say about it. He he's probably really a top one catcher, but um, I I I'm not familiar with their system as much as uh, Chris is, but I did see uh, Sixto Sanchez's name brought up all summer in 2018, and and you know he was the prospect that everybody wanted, and. Uh, you know, Philadelphia didn't want to send him to Baltimore in a deal with uh, Manny Machado, you know, because that was a rental situation. But his ceiling is so high. I, I just, if I was a Phillies fan, I mean, I, I'd probably be a little disappointed with it. Real Muto is only controllable for two more years. So, I mean, if it was for three years, okay, a little more palatable. If he was controllable for four years or five years, kind of like, you know, Yelich was uh, for the Brewers, then, yeah, yeah, then then it, it looks like a good a good deal. But I just, I don't, he's a great catcher. He's a great catcher, but they're not getting, you know, a, a top 10 overall offensive player, you, you know, for their top prospect overall. They didn't just get... Mookie Betts or Mike Trout or someone. I mean, I just the the prospect of having Nola and Sanchez one two in your rotation was just I don't know for several years. But just, the thing, thing though, but the thing though, Terry, like I said, he's throwing forty five innings now. From what I read, that he's at least a year away from being major league ready. The problem I have with that. Is this is a guy that's thrown forty five innings and has been un you know has not been able to be healthy enough to get past forty five innings like it's been treacherous for him to do that and they say that you want to go at least twenty to twenty five percent increase every year in innings and I'm not great in math but I would say Sanchez this year if he gets to seventy innings that's probably great for him and that's without any sort of injury elbow shoulder knees or toes and I get it. You know, you want to say Nola and Sanchez sounds great, but you look at the Phillies right now. They're ready to win today or this year, next year, and maybe the year after, and that's when things start to get sticky with arbitration, free agency, you know, pitchers, you know, digressing and so forth. So if you're a team like the Phillies, if you go up every year with Sanchez, he would not be ready. He wouldn't even get to – a starter's length, which would be 140, 150 innings for at least three to four years. So what they're doing is they're buying now on a major league ready catcher because if you think about it, the Phillies are built up the middle. They have Real Muto at catcher now. You have Segura at shortstop, Kingry at second, and you have Oldubo Herrera in center. You build your you build your team up the middle, and that's what the Phillies have right now. So they have that. And while they gave up a guy like Sanchez, which could very well turn out to be the next Pedro Martinez, like I said in my you know my open again, you never know. You, there's much more of a risk 
with pitching prospects than there are position prospects because with pitchers that you know the, the degree of injury is a lot higher than a guy who plays a position and is less likely to get hurt unless he's hurt on the field rather than a pitcher which is consistently throwing i mean look we've seen how many how many young guys have we seen in the last two years under the age of 24 to get tommy john surgery it's ridiculous and it's only going to get higher I, I I call this the backup quarterback syndrome. And when I was growing up, Bledsoe, uh, you know, took took the Pats to a Super Bowl, but everyone wanted Scott Zolak. And even Scott Zolak, who is the current radio personality in Boston, admitted that he was never going to be or ever was better than Drew Bledsoe. And people get obsessed with the prospects. The yep. prospects, right? The idea of what could be. Well, guess what? With this player, the Phillies got a proven major league. And I, Terry, you corrected me. I said top five. You said top one. So I'm sorry. I, I'm just the prospects have to go when you get a proven guy. The Red Sox are a prime example of this. Sale was traded for multiple prospects. They got Kimbrel for prospects. And I haven't gone back and got receipts on all of the prospects that were traded for Kimbrel and Price, and you know, and, and I know Kopech got hurt, and I know the White Sox um, haven't necessarily got a great return on, and I'm spacing it on his name right now. Um, no, the Dominican middle middle. Oh, middle, Yoan Mankata. Yeah, Yoan Mankata. I'm sorry, the Red Sox were right; they won a World Series. Yeah, Kimbrel Kimbrel was awesome. Sale pending some injuries was awesome. So, you know, Cy Young votes. So I'm just sorry. I I I don't buy into uh, the backup quarterback syndrome. And so this is a perfect example. You know, with the caveat that I don't understand the prospects like Chris does. You have a, as Terry put it, a top one player at the position. You go get that guy, and you give up the prospects. Especially, you know, now I'm hearing some things from Chris about, you know, inning issues and all that other stuff. Like, this makes the Phillies. There's no question about it. And maybe those guys turn into something, maybe, but they're they're prospects for a reason. Yeah, it it comes back down to the fact that he is only controllable for two years. So if if this was if the Phillies make a deal for Christian Yelich. And, and Sixto Sanchez is in that is in that trade. Fine, I'm good with it. You're getting the guy for five years, but it's only for two. And this isn't a win now team. I mean, if they, uh, I they're not win now, Terry. I, I mean, they signed Cutchin for what was it, thirty plus mil. The moves that they're win now, Terry. They're win now. I don't, and they could always sign JT to a term deal. I mean. All they have to do, you know, they could easily sign him to a long-term deal. JT Romuto has not been on a winning team since he's been called up. If the Phillies are winning, I can guarantee you he will take – I'm not saying they're going to give him chump change. They will pay him. This team – the owner came out and said he will spend stupid money. So if he wants – if JT proves his worth, which I think he will, they will re-sign him, and then the trade will look even better if and when they re-sign him and – Here's the biggest point with this trade. It doesn't so much matter what Alfaro does because I think he's going to get flipped 
by the Marlins, especially if he even reaches close to his ceiling. If you look at Stewart, he's a back-end guy. So he's not much to worry. If Sanchez does not pan out, if he does not become that ace, and the shoulder woes and the elbow, and he ends up turning out to be a guy who is more of a bullpen eighth or ninth inning pitcher, then the Phillies won this trade outright because Sanchez was traded because he was an ace, not because he was a closer or a bullpen pitcher, because then his value decreases. That's my only point. Yeah. The other thing is, by getting him a year early, I think you increase the likelihood of possibly resigning him. Agreed. Yep. So, you know, the guy has to, you know, rent a house. Maybe now he buys a house. He's in the community for a year. You know, uh, it, it's a different situation. And um, I don't think that can be discounted. I really don't. I think that you get a guy in there two years. You, Maybe he takes to the city, and maybe you increase your chances of signing him long term. And he likes winning, which yeah. the Philadelphia look. The Phillies are ready to win. Yeah, they're going to win. I think they're going to be. A, I think they're going to be a playoff team. That division's good. I mean, you look at the Phillies, the Braves, the Mets, the Nationals. I mean, that division. You, besides the Marlins, you can make a case. Any one of those four teams can win it. Yeah, just yeah, that. the Mets are good. That's are going to met. You know what I mean? Just, I just I don't yeah. buy into the program. <laughs> to clear up my win now comment, I I was kind of applying that to a team you know with a shorter window. Like this might have been a great move for the Red Sox, you know, a year or two ago. The Phillies are in great shape for a long time. They have one of the lowest payrolls in MLB. The the only real impact guy that's going to cost them a ton of money that is coming up in the next few years is Aaron Nola, and I think they're going to sign him. Chris, you and I were talking privately earlier, and I was saying there's just not a lot of guys out there, not a lot of starting pitchers that are coming up on free agency. You have Bumgarner uh, next season, but, I mean, he's not quite the guy he you know he was a few years ago. We're already seeing that right now with Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he opted out, but he he signed a new year a new deal that basically added one more year on top. I mean, starting pitchers are just at a premium, and JT Real Muto he, he doesn't he he's like a twenty eighty guy roughly, and I just. He's not. The Phillies he, aren't done, though. He's, the Phillies aren't done. They're going to add someone else, but I mean, yeah. Real Muto is more of a complimentary guy, and I just—if you could have signed him to an extension, if he agrees to an extension before the start of the season—and who knows? I mean, it could happen. The way this market is, he might be comfortable just taking whatever the guaranteed money is. Then, then fine. Okay. Then, then it's better, but. I just feel like they could have gotten they could have gotten a better player for more years for the package they Hold gave on. up. Hold on. A twenty eighty guy at a quarter outfield or quarter infield spot's different than the getting twenty eighty from the catcher position. This isn't the steroid era. Twenty eighty from that spot? You gotta be kidding me. That that that's such a huge plus. Because you can then go get twenty eighty from your corner outfielders and your quarter infielders. I mean, that's having that guy in your roster. If he is a twenty eighty guy this year, I mean, that's huge. No one else is getting that from that position. Nobody. 
Well, the Yankees have the best, you know, offensive that, that, player. Yeah, well, that guy, that guy can't catch. He I, stinks. But I'm I'm talking about it from an offensive perspective here, you know. So, I mean, we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna, you know, keep it in the same same category here. And I, it just he just doesn't move the needle. You know, once he's added to the roster, he's just another player to me. And I mean, I gave the Yankees as an example. I don't. I mean, who do the Cubs have besides David Ross in twenty, uh, you know, twenty sixteen? Who did the so Astros have? Basi- who did the so Red you're Sox basically have? saying the catcher position doesn't matter? Because when I said he was a top five catcher, you corrected me and said, "No, Jeremy, dickhead, he's a top one player at that position." So the top, the best catcher in baseball doesn't move the needle. Doesn't move the needle. That's Terry. Come on. I I just don't. He's just another offensive player on the team. And but Terry, if he doesn't mean anything, then why were the Braves? Why were the Dodgers? Why were so many teams? Why were the Reds? Why were the Padres? Why were so many teams wanting to go after him? He's a top catcher right now in his prime. He's better than Yachty. He's better than Buster Posey. He's more consistent than Sanchez. I get the framing aspect. Okay, whatever. As a full catcher, full complement, you know what you're getting. Night in, night out. Real Muto is the guy, and I get it. He doesn't hit 30 bombs. He doesn't have 150 RBIs. Okay, he's not an offensive guy to that ilk, but he's going to help a pitching staff with the Phillies, which is what he did with the Marlins, but he has a more established staff with Jake Arrieta and Vasquez, and you go down the line of guys. He has a staff which he can help and tutelage a little bit more, and he's more of that. Yes, he's not the he's not the aircraft carrier that's going to get you kind of like a Harper and Machado, but he's the engine to get that aircraft carrier going. They just need that one more piece. But if they don't get a Harper and Machado, they could very well go out and get somebody else because, like I, like you said, they don't have money committed on the books. I think in the next two years, they have less than $30 million committed. So they could easily re-sign him. They have Kingry for the next seven years, six years. They have Segura for the next two or three, maybe give or take. I don't know the contract length. They have Odubel Herrera in center field for the next five years. They have that up-the-middle defense that you need. This is a guy that can help your franchise. He moves the needle, Terry. Come on. Let me ask it oh. to you this way: Why the fuck okay. did if he's such a if he's such a great impact guy? Why the fuck did it take until February seventh to make this deal done? Because no other team wanted to wanted to give up so much for for so little I years can... in return. Here's here's a good example: the Mets were hot and heavy over this guy. Like it was looking like. There was a three-way deal between the Marlins, the the Mets, and the Yankees, and you know it was like minutes away from happening. That's what all the buzz was during. I don't remember was the GM meetings or the winter meetings. No, I'm going to finish this point. And then the Mets said, "All right, you know what? Fuck this. We're going to get Wilson Ramos. We're going to keep our prospects. The guy hit 15 bombs last year. Not much less than JT Real Muto. 306 average. 358 OBP." 2.7 war and that was a much smarter move that was the better value move and that's i would have made that move all day long versus giving up anything for jt real muto for two years 
I'm not doing it. That's terrible value. Well, I don't. I always hesitate to use the Mets as the voice of reason. Um, and I understand what you're saying, but Ramos was already gone. So if that's what a player they were considering, he was gone and off the board. And if you're in a if you're in a position where you need a plus player, and you just you've already admitted, Terry, that this was this is the best catcher in Major League Baseball. I'm using your words, not mine. Why? Well, I, I mean, and by the way, when you're talking about offense, this isn't third base. This is catcher. This is what is your ability to handle a pitching staff to affect an earned run average. To build the trust of not only the pitching staff but the bullpen and the coaching staff to let you call your own game and all the things that go into being a catcher. And by the way, no one should know that better than Boston Red Sox fans because Veritek was never considered like a top player. He's not going into the Hall of Fame. But we always as Boston Red Sox fans felt like we had such an advantage having that guy in that spot. And he would go into spots where he would hit – you know, he would be a plus offensive player, but then he'd go into two months and he'd be just dog shit. But he handled the staff. He had the trust of the superstars. He had the trust of the young players. He had the trust of the bullpen. He had the trust of the closer. He tr- and, the, and more importantly than anything, the coaching staff trusted him to handle the pitching staff without having to call every pitch from the bullpen. So this isn't third base. This is the extension of the coaching staff at the catcher position. It's just not the same. And I and I respect more than anybody an agreement to disagree. And that's, I think, where we're going to be here. But this isn't some run-of-the-mill plus offensive player. Like, let's say... Um, uh, you know, you got a, you got a, you got a third baseman who's got an error problem, like twenty five errors a year, but he's a thirty hundred guy. That that's a different situation. You have to add in the fact that he's handling an entire pitching staff, and I don't think that can just be quantified by well, he's a twenty eighty guy, and there's plenty of twenty eighty guys in Major League Baseball. But but he's doing it from the catcher spot. It's it's a significant difference. It's the most shallow position in MLB. So, I mean, you know, one through eight at catcher, you know, would be the equivalence of one through 40 in the outfield. I just, just because he's a catcher and happens to hit 2080, I just. Terry, did the Red Sox not win because of Vasquez and Leon behind the plate? I don't. Because of them behind the plate? I don't think they played a, a huge factor at all, no. But they were the highest-rated defensive catchers in that postseason. They, if I recall, they blocked everything. And how many times did you know did John Smoltz say, Vasquez behind the plate, Leon behind the plate, look what they're doing, look how they're calling the game. Catching plays such a big factor, Terry, in how pitchers can feel comfortable. That's why Sanchez has been such a struggle for the pitchers on the Yankees side because – they don't. They can't trust him that he's going to block pitches. Real Muto behind the plate will block. And to answer your point about why it took so long for him to get traded, the Marlins wanted a top prospect. Teams were not willing to give up what they were asking. That's why it took so long. And the Marlins finally said, you know what? We got to pull the trigger because in eight days, seven days, we're going to be in spring training. We can't have this guy in the clubhouse because, A, they weren't going to resign him. 
because they're not going to be winning in the next two years. And two, every day that he is on that Marlins roster is less value they're going to get back. So they held on to him as long as they could, and they finally got what they wanted. Maybe not the most – maybe I don't know how much they want Sanchez. You know, this trade's only a half a day old, so I'm still going to find out more about it. But what they got for a guy that they basically had to trade – that's the best they were going to get. And they got back a flyer in a kid who's 19 and has arm problems. We don't know how he's going to turn out. We'll know We'll know in the next four years how this trade panned out because we'll know if JT signed a long-term extension. We'll know what happened with Sanchez and the rest of the kids that were acquired. And we'll know if the Phillies won the World Series or not. And we'll know how the Marlins are overall as an organization. Well, if if the Phillies value defense so much, they could have called Dave Dombrowski and literally probably got any catcher they wanted for much less than what they just gave to the Marlins. And they're they're JT, probably not going to win. If they win the World Series, it's not going to be because of JT Real Muto. It's going to be because they probably still need another starting pitcher. They still need a better bullpen. Like those those are the things they should have been addressing foremost and those would be the reasons why they won the world series now two years from now jt real muto might be catching for the yankees or the dodgers or another big market team that's going to unload for him and and then sixto sanchez could win a cy young a few years from now and if the phillies didn't win the world series i mean this trade is just historically not going to look very good for that organization Terry, let me ask you a question. Are the Phillies better today than they were yesterday? They're better, uh, but they're not. It, you can, you can. That's a, a very broad way to ask it. Are they more likely to win a World Series than than they were yesterday? No, absolutely not. Okay, next topic. That's that's all I've got. <laughs> all right, look, I, I want to say one more thing about. Um, you know, and Chris, sorry, this is kind of going to be a Boston centric uh, comment here, so you may not have much. That's but fine. um, the the Red Sox bullpen situation is just a fucking joke. Um, it it really is a joke, and what's made it laughable more than it already was was they just signed a guy who was previously served a lifetime ban. They signed him to a minor league contract. I don't care what his name is. I really don't. <laughs> my my point is, I really truly believe that the Boston Red Sox are receiving a pass from the Boston fan base based on the, the level of success that Boston sports are currently having, including the Red Sox themselves coming off a World Series, including the Patriots winning a Super Bowl, including the Celtics who are still – you know, the odds on favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference. The Bruins are going to be in there in the mix if they can get a hot goaltender, whether it be Halak or Rask. Um, we we are not giving them a pass, Terry and I. And, and, and I, Chris, obviously, I think you understand what we're talking about. Um, it's baffling to me that, that as we enter pitchers and catchers this weekend um, and then the full roster and then games next weekend – that that there is there there's been zero accountability from the from the Boston fan base about the status of the bullpen. It's it's honestly a joke. It's laughable to the point where we signed a guy who has a lifetime ban. Um, 
and I'm all about the level of success that Boston's had recently. Uh, I mean, recently as in like last Sunday. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should not hold the front office accountable to continue to have that level of success. And with the state of the bullpen, that level of success is going to be in question for the Boston Red Sox in 2019. And it pisses me off that for whatever reason, they have made zero fucking effort to improve what is clearly the weak spot of this team. Um, I, I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's something I'm not seeing and maybe – you know, they, they have some master plan, but what it feels like as, as a fan of all four teams that the management for the Boston Red Sox are hiding behind a smokescreen of success from, from just the city generally. And when, when we fall short, if we fall short, because I still think we're the best team in the American League East, it's going to be because of the bullpen. And I just hope that management is going to be held accountable at the end of the year if that's the case because right now they're not being held accountable they're not are you softening up jeremy because this is a different this is like a serious level of concern that wasn't there a week ago or the last episode no okay it's not because i do believe that and i this is consistent with the last episode i do believe that they will find a way to get better but I, it's to some extent, I feel that, especially after the Patriots won the Super Bowl, there's been, I mean, z- literally zero accountability. No one's talking about it, Terry. And I listen to Boston Sports <laughs> Radio every single day. I mean, other than our podcast, no one's talking about it. Like where the fuck's the bullpen? And I and I am I concerned on opening day? No. Am I concerned on July fifteenth if the bullpen's the exact same as it is today? Yeah, yeah, I really am. We don't have a closer, um, and it's as much as the teams compete against themselves in this city. How easy is it is for the Boston Red Sox to hide behind their biggest weakness because everyone else is doing what they're doing? That's it. That's all. You know, I mean, that's my that's my point. Um, you know, well, I, I mean, but it's a concern. And I, I, I hope that the fan base is going to wake up in a week when everyone looks at this roster and goes, OK, football's over. We got a month before the playoffs for basketball. We got a month before the playoffs for the Bruins. Oh, hold on. Wait a minute. Our bullpen, which was our weakness last year, still fucking blows. Actually, has been is actually measurably worse. Yeah, I mean, I think what they're trying to do in in a few different cases here is they're trying to discover another Ryan Brazier. You know, they had that Zach Putnam acquisition earlier in the year. I guess he had Tommy John last year. Had decent numbers. Was he with the White Sox, Chris? Yes. Yeah. So he he was pretty good with the with the White Sox. He never really a, a high leverage guy necessarily, but so they got him. You know the Mejia guy. They just picked up um, Colton Brewer, who a lot of the nerds are real excited about. But I mean, where where did he come from, Chris? 
If I recall, I think he was on the Brewers, maybe the Rangers. I don't recall, but no, he's he's intriguing. He's he's somebody to watch for. Him and the kid that you guys drafted last year from TCU, I saw him quite a bit. Sorry. I thought he was going to make his yeah. I thought he was going to make his major league debut last year. I was surprised he didn't. So those are the two names I would watch out for in spring training for you guys. Yeah, Feltman only was in single A, you know, by the end of the summer. And obviously, I mean, he could easily fast track his way up, you know, given the four years of college. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And I think that's what the Red Sox are hoping for. Uh, They're hoping that one of the acquisitions they've made already will pan out, that Barnes and Brazier will continue to be solid. And then you'll have either Lakins or or Feltman come up and you know live up to their potential, but it's it's scary. And go back to 2014 when you know that was the year after the World Series, where the defending champs. The only difference between the 2014 roster and the 2013 roster was we didn't have Ellsbury, and Brad. That was the spring training that Bradley was just out of his mind, you know, hitting bombs off everyone. And unfortunately it didn't work out, but still that shouldn't have been a huge, like not having Ellsbury shouldn't have been why we were a last place team. And obviously when the trade deadline rolled around, we weren't gonna, you know, we weren't going to be a playoff contender. So Ben Sherrington started blowing it up, but all those guys were healthy too. Like, there was no reason we should have been a last place team. All of our starters were healthy, including Jake Peavy, who was never healthy, and and we sucked. And and there were no question marks going into that season. You know, you still had Uihara, who was very good. You had Tazawa, who was still pretty good. Breslow, and I obviously they didn't have as good a seasons, but coming into the season, we weren't worried and. Tons of question marks coming into this season. I mean, Brazier, his sample size is just too short. Like, I'm just uncomfortable putting a lot of eggs into his basket. You know, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll be solid, but I don't know that. And Barnes is finicky. You know, he'll be great one month, falls off a cliff the next. And I... <laughs> And, and, you know, and that's the bullpen, you know. I'm, I'm worried about Chris Sale. I don't – there's nothing to suggest that he's going to be extremely effective for six full months. You know, every year his effectiveness gets shorter and shorter. And a lot to be concerned about there. And, and, and then I forget which one of you I was talking to earlier. Maybe it was someone else. You got Evaldi. Erod and and sometimes Porcello that struggle to get out of the fifth inning and this is the bullpen that has to walk the tightrope for the rest of the game. So I have a but lot. They win the division. What's that? But they're still going to win the division. <laughs> I I hope so. I really do. Let me just make this one last final point. I'm like overall, I'm not concerned. Jeremy, I can tell you're really concerned about this year, and and you want to repeat really bad, and I'd love to repeat as well. But I, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm worried a little bit about this season, but I'm also worried about the off season, and I don't want to make any missteps with terrible contracts. So I'm I'm not going to be. 
I'm not going to be flying off the handle all summer long if things don't go well because we finally did win the World Series. You know, this isn't another year where we got bounced out of the playoffs after winning the division, you know, the previous year and then getting tossed in the ALDS. So finally won the World Series. You make it seem like you haven't won in years. No. So I've, well, that, that's what I'm saying is I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with if this season doesn't pan out because we finally did win it. So I'm fine. Like four World Series, oh I'm fine. Uh, so I, I just, I don't want to, I just don't want to make any bad missteps with, with contract extensions, <laughs> and then screw our chances of winning a World Series the next few years. So, Terry, I get what you're saying, but you're making it sound like you either have to go to win the World Series this year, or you have to choose for your future. And you don't have to mortgage your future to try to win this year. You just don't. This team is this team is stacked. I mean, they get. I mean, everyone's coming back except for Kelly and maybe Kimbrel. I, I I don't. I'm not not going to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, Red Sox fans, either we're going for the World Series and we're going to mortgage the future, or we're not going to win this year and we're going to plan to be good in the future. Look, this team, this city is built on championships. That's the barometer. Either you win the championship or you don't. And uh, the Patriots are obviously the benchmark, right? Like they continually are in the championship game literally every single year. And they are so smart about it that they're able to get back every year uh, because they make smart roster decisions. They're fiscally responsible. That's what I want for the Red Sox. And I'm sorry, I don't think it's unrealistic. Like, make decisions that are good both now and in the future. I don't think you can have one and not the other. I think I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think you can have both. And, for example, I think they've done okay so far, but for the bullpen, by not mortgaging this year for the future or vice versa. It just doesn't have to happen that way. I Look, if you don't win the World Series, it's not a successful season. We're, we are not the Devil Rays. We are not the Orioles. You know, and Chris, I think you feel the same way about the Yankees. You got to win the World Series. That's the goal. There's no second prize. There's no party favors. There's no, you know, I have kids. And every party we go to, we get a little, you know, goodie back. There's no goodie back for just showing up. You got to win the fucking thing. That's what it's about. We're, I mean... I just don't see it any other way. And maybe in 10 years I feel differently if things go south for our, our our sports teams. But right now, you know, we can win and we can have it in the future because I feel like we have good organizations with fan bases that support the teams, that spend their money, that, that pay for season tickets, that buy merchandise. And, and, and as a result, we should be good every year. And we should have aspirations to win the championship every single season. And the, and the 2019 season for the Boston Red Sox should not be any fucking different. I'm just I'm just resigned to the fact that, you know, history is not on our side. And that doesn't mean we can't make history and, and win it back to back. It just hasn't been done in almost 20 years. You know, Chris's team was the last to do it. I just, I, all, all I'm saying is I'm not going to be flying off the handle in July if it's <laughs> if it doesn't go well, you know, because we finally did win it, you know. So the, the buildup from all the previous years, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not that worried about it. And, and Chris, you're crazy if you don't think you're the best team. Like, 
Wow. Your, your, your team oh. is so well balanced all the way through. You know, are we? Their starting we? pitching sucks. Are we? We have no speed. We strike out a shit ton. The starting pitching leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, there's questions, you know, up the wazoo with it. I mean, the bullpen's the only good part, but at the same time, a bullpen's great until July if they're being used up, you know, like crazy. So, you know, I, like I said, the Yankees will not make it far, let alone beat the Red Sox in the playoffs if they don't get away from this three true outcomes, which they haven't. They're way too right-handed heavy. They don't have a lot of power or any – or. I should actually let me change that. They don't have they don't have a lot of left-handed batters. And Greg Bird, if he doesn't make the roster, that's just one more negative to put on the lineup, which is basically all right-handed. So well, you have depth, though. I mean, you have Luke Voigt. You could put Tula Whiskey at first. <laughs> Luke Voigt. Let's 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 depend on a guy who's been a journeyman and had a good two months. Well, look at okay. I'm not. I feel like this is I an feel extreme. Terry, like are you a Yankee fan? You might be a Yankee. Yeah, fan. I, I honestly feel like Terry's Clark Kent, and he goes into the phone <laughs> booth, and he comes out as a fucking Yankees fan. Jesus Christ! Seriously, Rookie Betts was drafted in the fourth round. Okay. Spent three years in the minors. Most Red Sox fans, including myself, okay. weren't familiar with him before the 2014 season when he debuted. There was nothing about Mookie Betts that suggested he was going to be a generational talent, okay? And he came out of the gates. He looked good 2014, very good in 2015, should have been the MVP in 2016. But what I'm getting at here is don't write off Luke Voigt. I don't care. Whatever preconceived notions you have of him, just, just take what he did at face value last year. He, the chances are he could be a very good major league baseball player, and he's he's playing at one of the positions where you don't have to be the best defender. You know, that's if Hanley Ramirez can be a good first baseman. I mean, Terry, it shouldn't be Terry. too hard. You compare okay, you saying that Mookie Betts and Voight in the same sentence. Oh, that's come on. Just, yeah, I'm come, not. You know, on, I wasn't saying that he's going to be the I know, next. Mookie I know, I know. But right? when you're comparing, I'm sorry, I will never, ever put Mookie Betts and Luke Voigt in the same sentence. They are far apart. <laughs> Mookie Betts is a supreme premier talent. Luke Voigt is an average first baseman at best, and is on his second organization because he couldn't crack the first base position, which, mind you, was completely wide open. And Luke Voigt didn't win that because Matt Carpenter eventually had to play that position. Now, why is that? Because Luke Voigt couldn't play there. The Yankees have by far the worst infield defense in Major League Baseball, if not in the division, because we don't know who's playing first. Andrew R. has to improve. Torres is the only sure glove in the, at second base. Shortstop with Didi being out leaves a lot to be desired because I don't know if Tulo is even going to stay on the field for more than one inning. And you already know my thoughts on Gary Sanchez. In the outfield, you know, Hicks, how is he going to, you know, is Hicks going to be able to stay on the field for a week at a time? Judge is the only consistent, and left field's going to be a revolving door, I think, between Frazier and Gardner. So this Yankee team has a lot more questions than I think people are really realizing. All right. When you left out DJ LeMahieu, who is not bad. 
platoon. He's going to platoon. Well, so he'll play. Well, he'll play first at best. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not. I'm not putting Luke Voigt or in so. the Mookie Betts category. You know that. I'm just saying. Sometimes guys come out of nowhere, and he did it in 2018. Maybe, maybe he does it. You know, with the Red Sox, we're not we're going to get average at best offense, and I don't even think we're going to get that good offense out of catcher, second base, and center field. Okay, you know we're fine defensively in those positions for the most part, but You're great defensively, not not a ton of uh, offense. And then Devers is a wild card. I mean, he's he's all over the place. He strikes out a ton. He struggles defensively. You know, I'm still pretty optimistic he's going to pan out and be a really good baseball player, but he hasn't shown it for a full season yet. So we have our question marks offensively as well. And, I mean, you guys have a better bullpen. We don't have to debate that. You, you, Your bullpen was ranked number one on Fangrass before you got Ottavino. <laughs> and then you signed him because apparently you guys felt like it. And But you have a better rotation. Well, we have a better one, too, if they're healthy. Sale and Price are better than Severino and Paxton. But, I mean, Severino and Paxton, pretty damn good. But then go down to your bottom three, though. Is Evaldi, Erod, and Porcello, are they better than, let's see, Hap, Sabathia, and who's your, and Tanaka? Terry, Terry, Terry. Uh, hang on, let Chris, let Chris answer the question. Which three are better? Tanaka, Hap, oh my God. or Sabathia, or would you take the Red Sox, Evaldi, Erod, and Porcello? I would put Tanaka too. Paxton would be a three All for right, me. Fine. But... Do, do it. Then put him in that three. And who okay. do you like Red Sox still, the Red Sox still win it. So you the Red Sox still win it. So the Red Sox are better one through five. That's what you're telling me in the rotation. Yes. Okay. Right now, yes. Right now, yes. All right. Well, Erod has never pitched more than 137 innings. Chris Sale probably won't pitch 137 innings, and a lot of people are going to a lot of people going to be very disappointed in in Evaldi because they're gonna they're gonna think he's gonna pitch good contact hitting teams like he pitched the launch angle teams, and that's not going to happen. You know, so I. I got questions in in all three areas of the Red Sox. I I don't have that so much with the Yankees. I didn't really consider the the defense aspect of your lineup, admittedly, but um, it's bad. I, I honestly don't think we'll win seventy five games after hearing Terry's take on our <laughs> roster. You guys might. Be I, I I mean I'm concerned that I'm concerned that we're not a five hundred team at this point. You might as well just not even watch games. No, I'm canceling. I'm canceling my Directv <laughs> subscription, my MLB subscription, uh, my MLB TV subscription. I'm canceling it all. This this is an this is a 78 win team. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> Those words are gonna haunt you, Jeremy, because you're gonna do it in June when we're like 10 games under 500 and. Terry, oh my Terry. God, Terry! All right, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> Terry, tonight's been fun. It's right. been fun. I look forward to the next one, but I'm sorry I'm out of here on that. I mean, come on, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Chris, it's been a pleasure as always, man. I look forward, always. and I hope you're on one of the next the next podcast we do, all right? Definitely. It's always fun. All right. And where we're good, we'll wrap. Have a good night, gentlemen. Well, apparently I crashed the party, and uh, yeah. 
but uh, there'll, there'll be plenty of uh, opportunities for, uh, you know, critiquing the team as the season gets underway. But I, as I said in the last show, I do expect the Yankees will probably finally win the division. I mean, the team that Chris is so concerned about still did win 100 games. They still did add to their roster, got better, so... I don't really feel bad about that, you know, prediction. Well, it's going to suck, but I mean, I, in terms of whether it's realistic or not, I, unfortunately, I, I think it is. So, but anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in. Who knows when the next show will be pitchers and catchers report next week. So I guess maybe, maybe late next week we could, uh, conceivably record another episode, but it is the brutal part of the, off season and um we'll uh we'll get through it have a good uh rest of your week good rest of your weekend no more football <laughs> so be tough finding stuff to do but uh if you like skiing hit the slopes enjoy the last uh, several weeks of winter take care Red Sox Nation, it's a kind of insane.